All right. Well, we are going to uh, continue in Ephesians this morning. I've gotten away from that for a few weeks, uh, talking about the church, what is the church, and all of that. We did that for a couple weeks. And, um, and I want to get back into Ephesians. I think this might be the year we finish the book of Ephesians. <laughs> and then I'm going to start Hebrews. That may or may not be true. Um, but we've, this is, I think this is, we're starting the third year here on, on, on Ephesians. And that's, that's about as long as I thought it would take, to be honest with you. Um, but, uh, you know, I start and stop all the time, so it's not like we're doing it constantly. But today, today we're going to get back in uh, chapter 5 of Ephesians. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. If not, I'm going to be reading all the verses, all the pertinent verses today out loud anyway, so it doesn't, it doesn't, uh, matter that much. But, uh, we'll be starting in verse 8 where Paul, um, where Paul has a lot to say about light and darkness. Light and darkness. <clears throat> and I'll read more than we'll cover today. I'm going to read several verses, this whole section here where he talks about light and darkness, and then, uh, and then we'll get into it. But I, I honestly, I'm only going to do, I'm only going to really get into the first verse, verse 8 today. Um, so here we go, Ephesians 5, 8. For you were once darkness. I mean, that's really the, the, the whole focus of everything I'm going to say today. You were once darkness. But now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of light, uh, or, or some, some translations say the fruit of, spirit, fruit of the Spirit, and that's, that has to do with what manuscript your Bible is translated from. If you have the New King James or the King James, it'll say the fruit of the Spirit. But if you have any other translation, it'll say the fruit of light. And I like that. I think that's original. It's older. The older manuscripts have that. So anyway, verse 9. For the fruit of the light is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, proving what is acceptable to the Lord and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Um, I'm just going to, like I said, I'm just going to focus in on Ephesians 5.8 today. And I want to start by, by asking you just to think back to the creation story. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. And, uh, and you'll remember that right away, God created natural light. <clears throat> uh, we've talked about this a whole, whole lot of times. Uh, but you always have to remember when you're thinking of God creating the earth, when you're thinking of the creation story or when God was making things out of nothing, making visible things out of invisible, uh, that everything that God made visible through creation was a picture, a shadow. I'm not, I'm not saying it doesn't exist in the natural. I'm saying that it exists in the natural because it is a picture and shadow of something eternal and spiritual in Christ. We oftentimes think of the spiritual realm as the shadow, the realm of shadows, and the, and the natural realm as the realm of, sh of substance, but it's exactly the other way around. 
The natural realm is the realm of shadows, where things were made to look like their spiritual fulfillment or counterpart. And, and the natural mind doesn't like that because uh, we, we have most of our, our identity and goals and values and purposes in the, in, in the realm of shadows. So we like to pref we prefer to call that substance, but it's just not, not the case. God created every, everything that God created. He created with a view to his son and the eternal purpose that he was accomplishing in that lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. Uh, so all things that were made in the first creation, the first man, the first covenant, these things were created with a new creation, a new covenant, and a new man in mind, in view. And every facet of natural creation paints this physical, material picture, foreshadow, preview of coming attractions. Of, of the eternal and the spiritual realities that we have now come to in Christ. We haven't not, at least not yet, for those of us in this building, left the material behind, but we have come to the spiritual and the eternal. And faith, the renewed mind, the, the mind of the Lord, sees the one and sight, natural senses, see the other. And growing in faith, we can actually walk by faith and live where we have been placed in the Son of God's love, but that's that's getting off off my topic. My my main point is uh, is just to, to 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 ask you to remember the creation narrative and how everything that everything that was made uh, physical, made into to material substance, was a, was actually a shadow of of everything uh, everything that God knew to be the eternal and spiritual substance of Christ, that which Christ is and would accomplish and would be in a people and all of that. And, and if you remember, the very first thing that God created after making the heavens and the earth was natural light. He said, everyone knows the famous words, let there be light, and there was light. And then it says God divided the light from the darkness. It's a very important thing. God divided the light from the darkness. And he called, he called the light day, and the, and the darkness he called night. And, uh, and so that's the, very, it's the first thing he made in the world. He made the world, and then he said, let there be light. Now here's a question. You may not have thought about this before, but he said, let there be light, but where did the darkness come from? I can't remember him saying, let there be darkness. He only said, let there be light, and then he divided it from the darkness. Well, the answer to that question is, is, is obvious, and that is the fact that darkness doesn't need to be created because it's, it's the absence of something. It's the absence of light. Darkness is nothingness. Darkness is nothingness. It exists where light does not. It exists wherever there is not light. And I, I want you to keep that in mind. Darkness is nothingness. So God made a division. <clears throat> he made a division that all humanity could see and experience every day of their natural lives. He made this division so that we can witness it over and over and over again. And yet, that's why he made all things. 
the vision. You know, that's why he had this cycle of things that they did in Old Covenant Israel, all of which pointed to Christ. He made them do it again and again, year after year, day after day, week after week. He showed it to them again and again. It's kind of like the seasons. All of it speaks beyond itself. All of it speaks speaks of him. Uh, so anyway, he makes this natural... He puts on display this natural division, light and darkness, light and darkness, day and night. And he, and he divides between them. Why does he divide between them? Why did he do that? Why did, it, why did he make sure that Moses wrote that down? Make, make sure to write down, Moses, that I divided between the day and the night, the light and the darkness. Well, because, because one exists where the other does not. Darkness exists where light does not, and light exists where darkness does not. And, and all of that is a very important picture of something. It's a natural picture of something that, that, that we, that humanity, that the redeemed of the Lord would one day need to realize and experience in a much greater way. What I mean is we need to experience and realize the division of light and darkness in a way that far surpasses the natural type and shadow. So what we have here is a picture of the fact that darkness is the nothingness that is there wherever light has not shined. Only in the light can you see anything that is real. Only in the light do you come into contact with reality. Only in the light do you have any awareness of what is there. And that's what the light is. The light shows you what is there. The light shows you what is real. In the darkness, there's absolutely zero sight. I mean, in true darkness, in pitch darkness. Darkness, therefore, it becomes the home of everything untrue and everything unreal. It's the place where minds create reality. It's the place where imaginations reign and rule. Because there's no light to contradict imagination. So God wanted to make this distinction clear, and so after creating light, he established a, a boundary, a division, a boundary between light and darkness, and, and, and he named them both, and he gave them to us to, 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 to look at, to understand. And, and it's kind of like this, uh, that, that campfire analogy that I've used before. If you were camping in the woods in the middle of a pitch black night in the middle of the woods and you had a campfire, you would have a ring of light around the campfire that, uh, you know, in, in which, in, in the midst of which you could see. But everything outside of the boundaries of that light, everything outside the bound, the ring of light was, was, um, was left to anyone's imagination. Everything inside the, the light, inside that ring of light was obvious and knowable. It wasn't a matter of believing anything. It just was there. But everything outside of it was, was, was who knows? You know, what's out there? I think I heard a noise. What was it? Was it a, was it a bear? Was it a woodchuck? Was it a forklift? I don't know what it was. Could have been anything. A falling tree, a falling star, a falling man. I don't know. You know, it could be anything until, until light removes the imagination. And see, that's what light does. Light removes the imagination by defining reality, by putting the parameters on truth. And until light parts the darkness and reveals the truth of the matter, there is nothing 
but imagination. Why am I saying all this? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to lead into Ephesians 5.8 here. And I'm saying this because natural darkness was created this way by God in order to testify of a much more serious darkness, a much more, a much more uh, dangerous darkness. The condition of, of natural darkness is only, again, it's only the type and shadow of a much more serious condition, a condition where humanity imagines and assumes and lives in and is the absence of light. A condition that is, in fact, maybe better described as a kingdom, that is utter blackness, a kingdom where Satan can make you believe anything that he wants because there's absolutely no light for you to tell the difference. It's easy to deceive when there is no light. And I'm talking about the, the darkness of the Adamic heart, the darkness of the Adamic mind, the natural man, your natural heart, prior to, apart from the light of his life shining in it and defining all things of spirit and truth. I'm talking about the darkness that naturally resides in you until light shines. The darkness of humanity is, is far... I'm not talking about evil deeds here when I say darkness. I'm talking about blindness. I'm talking about inability to know anything spiritually real. That darkness is far blacker. It's a far darker, blacker reality than any natural darkness. And this darkness, the darkness of man, is the darkness into which Jesus came and shined the light of life. And the prophets spoke about this, Isaiah 9-2. The people who walk in darkness have seen a great light. The ones who dwell in the land of the shadow of death, light has shone on them. This is the very thing that Jesus said in John, uh, John chapter 3, verse 19. This is the judgment that light has come into the world, and yet men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. Well, see, Christ came into a world of darkness as the only existing light. He wasn't like uh, just a brighter light. He was the only light in a pitch black humanity. And that's why he said things like, I am the light of the world. Not, I am a light of the world. I am the light of the world. And, one, and he who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Now that's very important that we understand the kind of light this is. It's a light of life. He offered, he offered mankind a light, not a natural light. He offered mankind the light of life. And so, to receive this light, man could not keep his own life. Do you understand? To receive the light of life, man had to lose the light of his own life, which was darkness. Man's life was the darkness. Man's life was the problem. In order to receive the light that Christ offered, man had to receive the light of life and be crucified to all that they had formerly called life and formerly called light. That's how you receive the light of life. 
You understand what I mean? Christ didn't offer the old man a better light. He, he's not trying to shine light on your day or on your plans. He's not trying to help you plan your future with his light. He's not trying to help you make good financial decisions with his light. That's not the kind of light that he is. He offers a light that shines in your soul to redefine all things. He shines a light in you that is the lamp of God. The light that is God's view. The light that is God's perspective. And that light, that light has a life associated with it, just as darkness has a life associated with it. The fallen Adamic man is the universe of darkness in which Satan can quite easily dictate what is real. But the resurrected life of the Son of God is the universal, I mean, is the universe of Christ. The universe of Christ in which the spirit of truth is always trying to bring you into God's view of what is real. And in every single way, for you to know the one, it will cost you the other. Remember, God has divided the two. He's divided them even in the shadow. They don't overlap. They don't blend. To every degree that the light of life has been formed in your soul, to that degree you have been liberated from the darkness. To whatever degree that you and I love the darkness, to that degree the light is not free to shine. And the only way that his life, the light of his life is, is in us is, is it's to the measure that we will part with the things that we have formerly called life and formerly called light. All the things that, have formerly, that we have formerly known and the things that we have formerly been. And I'm mentioning all that to you today because Paul says in Ephesians 5.8, he says, Formerly you were darkness. Formerly you were dark. I'm trying to, I'm trying to help us see the, 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 uh, the weight of these words. Formerly you were darkness. It's easy just to read over that little phrase and, and, and not think much about it. But Paul doesn't say, formerly you were influenced by darkness. He doesn't say, formerly you had some dark ideas. He doesn't say, formerly you had some darkness issues. He says something a whole lot stronger than that. And until we're willing to face the darkness of that natural condition, the darkness that we are, not only will we not understand what Paul's talking about in Ephesians 5.8, but we will not allow the light of life to teach us the truth. See, what I'm trying to say, and I'm sure you've heard me say it before, but we are the darkness into which Christ's light of life must come and shine. He doesn't shine on you. He shines in you unto your displacement. There's such a difference there. He doesn't give, he doesn't give you a better perspective. He gives you himself as, as perspective. And the very one who started, who started everything by shining light in the midst of of darkness is now the one seeking to fulfill that type and shadow by shining the light of his life in the darkness of our souls.
And that is precisely what 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 says. It says, For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, Paul's comparing the two. He's bringing the shadow into the substance here. He's taking the, the natural picture and making it uh, apply to the spiritual reality that, that is the fulfillment of it. So there's a light. There is a there is a light that exists that of of which natural light is only a type and shadow. There is a light that makes the sun ashamed and the moon draw back, as the scripture says. Natural light shows us what is naturally real, and in that light we can see the earth. But the light of which Paul speaks in this verse is a far greater light. So many Christians, you know this, but so many Christians are waiting for natural light to see natural things. But there's a greater light than all of that. There's a light that shows us what is eternally real. There's a light that shows us the heavenly reality of being in Christ. There's there's a light that awakens us to the fullness of his day so that we can walk in the light as he is in the light and have fellowship with the Father and with the Son. To walk in the light as he is in the light. Paul says in First Thessalonians 5, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night, nor of the darkness. But we were. But we were. We were not only of the darkness, we were the darkness. And that's how Paul is starting this section in Ephesians chapter 5. You were formerly darkness, but now light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of light. And I know I'm spending a lot of time on this one little phrase, you were darkness, but... But experiencing the try to hear this, experiencing the gospel hinges on you knowing that reality. Experiencing Christ, experiencing truth, experiencing transformation, experiencing everything that the New Testament describes hinges on your acceptance first of the reality that you are the darkness because only in accepting that can he shine. Unless we truly see the reality that we are the darkness into which he must shine, then we cannot learn. We don't learn. If we suppose, if we think that we just need to be corrected by the light and not destroyed, then there's no way for us to grow. If we approach him asking for him to fill in the blanks, you know, the places that, that, that we think things aren't lining up, then there's nothing that he can really do. See, God's, if you can hear what I mean by this, God is never going to fill in your blanks. God is going to show you that you are the blank. And, and, and this isn't words with me, guys. I know, and most of you know that, but I'm not trying to insult anyone, and I don't really get any pleasure from rehearsing the blindness of Adam or, or, or degrading humanity. That's not what I'm trying to do. Contrary to what some people might think, I don't ever sit down and plan another way to describe the fallenness of the natural man. It's just that I talk to people every day. I talk to people, and I know for certain 
And this is the problem. This is the key issue. Every time, this is it. it always, I always find myself in conversations with people trying to bring them back to and, and presenting this reality before their heart so they might see it because everything starts here. This is the reason why so many people cannot see Christ. This is the central foundational thing that man rejects. This. And because of not facing the, the, the magnitude of our darkness, because of not being willing to accept the enormity of the problem, we don't even ever begin to see the enormity of the solution. When we suppose the wrong problem, then we, we, we effortlessly search for the wrong solution. And that, that, that's how religion was born. You understand what I mean? That's how religion was born and that's how religion is maintained. See, I talk to people all the time and I see the same thing with all of us. I see the same thing. What do I see? I, I see that men love darkness. You know, men, we love darkness because that's where we can pretend and that's where we can imagine and make believe that things are real. Like what? Well, we, we love darkness because that's the only place where Adam still has life. That's, that's the place where our ideas have relevance. That's the place where our religion is applicable. That's the place where our natural life is significant. Where we accept, we, we accept the idea that we need more light. That's not hard for anybody to, uh, to accept. You know, we assure, well, I need more light, nobody's perfect. We'll accept the concept that we need more light, but we will not accept the reality that we are the darkness. And what I'm trying to say is everything hinges right there. That's where truth begins. Truth begins when we start to accept that we are the lie. It's not just that, 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 that we are darkness. We also love the darkness. Jesus said that. I know they're hard words, but they're true. Jesus said it because it's real. And that realization is where we can begin. A heart that will face that reality is a heart that will allow him to shine. Only when we accept that we are the darkness do we begin to, to look to something outside of ourselves, something totally other than ourselves, to shine the light of truth. If we'll turn from ourselves to see him, then seeing him will start to redefine everything. We will be redefined. Everything is redefined. If we see him in his light, then we will see who we are and where we are and what is real. Or as Paul says, when Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you are revealed together with him in glory. But on the other hand, if the eyes of our heart will not see him, if they will not allow his light to illuminate our soul, then we will walk in our own darkness and we will call it light every time. If we will not allow him to open the eyes of our soul and shine the light of his life, then we will walk in our own darkness and that darkness is very great. And that is why Jesus says, the lamp is... Uh, the lamp of the body is the eye. He's not talking about your natural eye, obviously. 
If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? I talk to folks, uh, seriously, just about every day about the Lord. I think pretty much every day, most of the day. You know, it's, what, it's kind of what I do. It's, it's part of my job. And I see in us, I, what I'm trying to communicate is that I see in us the very same thing. We come to God with our questions. We come to God with what we think we, think we need Him to explain to us. But the questions themselves, they're, most of the time the questions are darkness. We come to God with something we think we need to know. But underneath, underneath that question, the 17 layers of, of false assumptions. So often the questions only exist in our hearts because, because of our refusal to see the truth. So often the question has to do with trying to make Christ's words fit in with our imaginations. Somehow, some way. People come to me sometimes and say things like, Jason, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I have strong faith, and I really like... I really like John chapter 15. I was hoping you could tell me how I can bear fruit. How I can bear fruit that glorifies the Father. What does he want me to do differently? How do I bear that fruit? And that kind of thing happens all the time. And even with my puny measure of light, even with my you know, anemic view of truth, smallness of what I can see, I'm immediately in a difficult situation when I get questions like that. I have a problem. Why do I have a problem? Why am I in a difficult situation? Because there's no truth in that question. Can you see what I mean? The question itself exists because of darkness. The question exists because we've stacked up layers of imaginations that left us with a question. And then we bring that question to the Lord, and in order for Him to answer it, He's got to take you down 17 layers. But that's not what we want. We just want to know how this Bible verse fits in with what we already think up here. You know, for starters, with that particular question, what is strong faith? Do we even know what faith is? Strong faith would actually have eliminated that question. Second of all, what is fruit? Is that something you're going to do or is that something that Christ is? Is fruit something that you bear or is it something that you make? And what about the concept of glorifying the Father? What, what exactly is that? What do we suppose that means? What is glory, after all? Is that something that you're going to do? Is that something that works in you? And, what, and how? But see, all of these things were assumed in the question. The understanding of all that was assumed, and then there was something that was wanted on top of it. you understand what I'm trying to say? All of these extremely relevant questions... We don't really understand even the question until light appears. And when light appears, when the day dawns and reality can be seen, well, then most of the time our questions dissolve into nothingness and darkness. Because that's where they came from. They came from misunderstanding. They came from the absence of light. It's like, it's like, it's like that guy that said to Jesus, Jesus, what must I do to work the works of God? I can picture Jesus thinking to himself, you know what, that's a tricky one. That doesn't make any sense. What should I say? Let's see. Here's what you need to do. Faith. Believe, but it's in the Greek it's the same word for faith. Faith in the one that God has sent. 
You see, Jesus really has no option except to point to the one thing out from which all good things come, faith. It's never going to be what he does to work the works of God. He understands that. Believe in him who God has sent. And I'm sure that man went away with a whole lot of questions and, and probably disappointed at the answer. It didn't really, didn't really um, solve his question. But then again, his question had a whole lot of stacks of imaginations. And that was probably the closest thing to an answer to that question. And I'm no, I'm no different from that man. I'm not saying that I'm any different from this. I do the exact same thing all the time, but here's my point. My point is when I, when I get questions like these or I see in the small amount of light that I have, when I see, when I see that so many of our questions are, are darkness, questions that I can even understand, that even I can see are creations of darkness, when I get questions like that and see all of the assumptions, I begin, I begin to wonder how it is that God is able to show us anything at all. I mean, if we bring so many imaginations to him and we ask him to fill in the blanks, we ask him to put the theological cherry on the, on the top of our, our carnal banana split, it's amazing to me that he can find any, any heart at all in, in me that's willing to bear the truth. It's like, it's like have you ever tried to teach, teach a, you know, a, a, something to a know-it-all kid, like a little three-year-old kid who's, who tries to tell you how life works? See, that drives me to my knees. That makes me, that makes me have something of the fear of the Lord in me. I, I, <clears throat> it really humbles me to, to realize the absolute necessity of coming to Him like a little child, of always doing everything that I know to do to flush my assumptions along with the man who made them and come to Him as one who knows nothing. Paul says, anyone who thinks he knows does not yet know as he ought. The necessity that Jesus kept repeating over and over again, as though it was the most important thing he could say, unless you become like a little child, unless you are converted and become like one of these, you'll never see the kingdom of God. Truth is hidden from the wise and the learned. It is revealed unto babes. Jesus kept saying that because that's where everything begins. There's really no point in, in, in giving them elaborate, long theological discourses out of the book of Isaiah when they, when, 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 when unless they are born, unless they are born of spirit, they will never see the kingdom of God. He says to Nicodemus, I speak to you, you know, I, I speak to you in earthly terms. You can't even understand those. How in the world are you going to understand anything of, of, of heavenly reality? Well, recognizing our darkness puts us in a position where we can begin to receive light. Realizing that Formerly, we were darkness. And that darkness is still the source of all of our natural thoughts. It's not like you get born again and suddenly your, brain, your, 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 the, your mind is instantly renewed and your, 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 your soul is flooded with light. No, by nature, you still bring that darkened understanding into Christ. And that is why we need our minds renewed. That is why we need light to shine that we can see the truth that we've come to. Otherwise, we, we, we carry our imaginations with us into Christ. 
And we, we try to set them up and, and, and fit them alongside true words in a book called the Bible, and that's what religion, that's where religion comes from. We need to recognize that in every way and at every time we must come to him as one who knows nothing and who is nothing, nothing but darkness by nature. I am not a good man that struggles with darkness. I am the darkness who likes to pretend to be a good man. I'm not a good Christian that needs a little more light. I'm the darkened heart in which he must shine and vanquish the darkness and give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he must divide in me the light from the darkness, the truth from the nothingness, even as he has divided in the natural realm, even as he has shown us in the type and in the shadow. He must do that in me. And that will never even begin if I remain one who loves the darkness. Light can begin to shine when darkness is acknowledged and, 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 and you begin to turn, turn from it. You can't ever step out of it until light shines, but you can turn from it. Light can, can come when there is a place for the light of life to start to bring that division. And that, that works in you. That's, that's called the revealing of Christ. That's called the, the renewing of the mind. That's called the coming of faith. That's called, uh, uh, what's another scripture? Uh, the day dawning in your heart. And I spent a lot of time on that, just that first sentence today, but, but this was so important to Paul. Paul just says it like a fact. He says it like it was a given, and I'm sure that the, the people that he was writing to had heard him say it a, a thousand times. Formerly, you were darkness. It's a fact. And yet humanity will not believe this. Christianity, the religion, I mean not life, but Christianity, will not accept this. We'll believe just about anything in the universe except except that we have no business believing anything without light. We will assume anything in the world we want, except for the fact that all of our assumptions are creations of darkness. Can you hear what I'm trying to say? Religion, I mean all of it, exists in the world today only because man needed to create a fictitious place where light and darkness could coexist. Think about that. Religion is where man sits in darkness and pretends he has come to light. And I'm not talking about Buddhism here. I'm talking about Christian religion that is void of the light of Christ. I'm talking about the enormous creation of man that exists in the earth because we would not allow God to divide the light from the darkness and see ourselves as part of the darkness. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. So what we do is we sit in the darkness and imagine that there's light. And we teach about light from a, from a safe distance. We sing songs about light. But we dare not approach it. Because the moment that we're actually willing to see light, I mean the very second that we are willing to behold the light of his life, we are made to face into something that necessarily changes our entire world and starts us over from nothing. 
we face the reality that we are the darkness. And to begin anything, we are crucified with Christ. We are baptized into his death. We are put away. It's not a a story of of Jason being, being, being made different. It's Jason crucified with Christ so that now I can bear in myself the life of another. The increase of him. Now, that's not something we want to believe naturally, though. We fight against that. We buck against that in every conceivable way. Darkness isn't something. Darkness isn't something that we just believed. It's something that we are. It's not something that we did. It's all things that we do. And the only answer to that is the cross that destroys and puts away the night and causes a new day to arise in your heart. The only answer is to allow the cross of Christ to transfer us out of one kingdom, the kingdom of darkness, and make us, make us partakers of the kingdom of light. And so Paul says, Formerly you were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk, therefore, as children of the light. See, formerly our constitution, our makeup, our nature was the darkness of the Adamic man, but now we have a new nature. Now we've become partakers of a new constitution. Now, if we are born of the Spirit, then we've been translated out of that darkness, brought into the sun. We have been given the light of life. This is, this is what we are, Paul says in this verse. This is, this is what we have come to, and yet, this is not necessarily how we walk or what we see. This is what God has done, but this is not instinctively or automatically the light by which we see. Can you hear what I'm saying? Paul says, you're now, you're now light in the Lord, therefore walk as children of the light. It's very similar to what he says in Galatians 5.25. He says, now, if we live by the Spirit, so too let us walk by the Spirit. There's always the finished work of God in Christ, and then there's the, the experience and the inward possession of that finished work through faith, through light, through the, through, through the Spirit of truth. And so to be clear, Paul is saying that those who have come to new birth have literally passed from darkness to light. That's true. They've, they've become altogether, altogether new as a matter of nature and kind and state of being. Therefore, Paul says, walk according to what you are. Therefore, live in the light. Walk in the light if, in fact, you have been born of the light. Well, how does one, how does one who has been born of the light walk in the light? That's the imperative question. And the answer is that the light has to shine. We have to turn to the light. We have to want the light to displace all things that are darkness. The light has to shine out from the darkness and show us what is real. What is real of what? What is real of this life that we have now called Christ? The light has to enlighten the eyes of our understanding. It has to give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the true knowledge of Him. It has to divide between night and day. It has to show you the things that God has freely given. It has to guide you into all truth. The life is, is, is in you immediately upon new birth. The light then must shine to, def- to def- define all things of spiritual reality and relevance and conform you to himself. We'll stop with that this week. We'll pick up, we'll pick up there next week. I just wanted to kind of uh, start the discussion on light and darkness with, with that foundational reality. And some of, some of that I'm sure you've heard me say before. But it is the, it's the pivotal point. It's the beginnings upon which nothing can be built unless we see the reality of it. So, amen. Amen.